So Acts chapter 16, 11 to 40. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and read it as you're turning. You're probably there already, I suspect. <clears throat> Starting at verse 11. I'm reading from the ESV. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her whole household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by her fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews and they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrate sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, "Hmm, they've beaten us publicly 
uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison and do they now throw us out secretly? Nah. <laughs> Let them come out themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went, verse 40, so they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the legacy of Christian believers that we get opportunity to peep into their lives in order that it might be an encouragement for us who are alive today. Father, would you allow your very word that was inspired by your spirit that is about real people in real places at a real point in time, would you allow that word that we've just read, Lord, to, to, to speak to us today, to affect our hearts and lives today. Because, Lord, as much as Paul and Silas and all the rest of the characters in this text are not alive here on the planet today, you are. And you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. So would you allow our lives to be affected, Lord, by the truth of your very word? In the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. And for his sake... Amen. Amen. I'll just briefly mention that also. My wife is here, which is a blessing. And my daughter's here. My son's not here. He's gone to our church in South London this afternoon. Not because he doesn't love you or doesn't want to be here. He had a prior commitment this morning. And so thank you again for allowing me the privilege of being here with you. It's a blessing. So free people that find freedom in Philippi. Now, this book is commonly called The Acts of the apostles, right? And it's also known as the second volume of Luke. Why? Because Luke wrote the book of Acts. If you like, Luke, volume one, that is Luke volume one, <clears throat> the gospel of Luke, the book of Acts, Luke volume two. And in volume one, we saw the life, we saw the death and the resurrection of the visible Lord Jesus, right? And in Luke volume 2, the book of Acts, we see the ascension and then the invisible ministry of the Lord Jesus. How many of you know the ministry of the Lord Jesus continues? Luke is all about what Jesus began to do and teach. Whereas the book of Acts is all that Jesus continues, not even continued, continues to do and teach. So... <clears throat> This new movement, this Christian movement, is that working? Yeah, there we go. This new Christian or Christian movement is traveling west. Away from, if you like, its original starting place, which is Israel, right, on the right-hand side. You can see how, you can see the trajectory of the message of the gospel and the church at this particular time. Now, up until this point, most of the people that are being converted are who? Jews. Thank you, my brother. Jews are being... But, but things are beginning to change. And a large number of Gentiles or non-Jews are becoming Christians. Even to the point where circumstances surrounding these Gentiles who are getting saved becomes the main theme of the 
large conference in Jerusalem in the previous chapter, right? In chapter 15, the Jerusalem Council, right? And two of the main speakers at this conference are Barnabas and the Apostle Paul, who are partly responsible for preaching to many of these new converts, right? And, and if you like, particularly on what was their first missionary journey as they began to take the gospel into Turkey, into Asia Minor, and then further west, as we can see in the map behind me. So we pick up the story as Paul and his new companion, Silas. You know, throughout the New Testament, Paul continues always to do ministry with others. Paul is a man, you never ever see him on his own in ministry, apart from once when he was in Athens, when he, was, when he saw the whole city given over to idolatry, right? And even at that point, he was waiting for the brothers to come and meet him. Paul is no lone ranger. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, there's over 50 names associated with the Apostle Paul throughout the New Testament. How many of you know you can't do ministry on your own? So I thank the Lord. Back at our church, my goodness, we got not one or even two. We got three pastors. I'm one of a team of three. So I'm here with you. They're not even missing me today. You know what I mean? Because we've got two other brothers. And the funny thing is, neither of the other two pastors are even preaching today. We've got another brother in the church preaching. <laughs> I'm saying, when Jesus sent out the disciples, remember how he sent them? He didn't send them out on their own, did they? Did he? He sent them out two by two. And I think there's, um, there's a message in there for all of us. Can't do this thing on our own. So, Paul <clears throat> finds, along, as, he's, as he's going along with, with Silas, going back these churches with a view to strengthen them and the believers that were converted they find a disciple whose name is Timothy Timothy and Paul has Timothy who's a young adult he's probably about 19 maybe 20 when Paul meets him Paul has him circumcised ouch Timothy then becomes a valuable member of the team and he will continue as you know to be a a very close friend and associate of Paul the Apostle. Paul writes two letters to him later on, right? The churches are strengthened, but Paul and his team, they end up being redirected by God from Asia Minor, from, you see, Galatia, that's, that's, that's Turkey, modern-day Turkey. They get directed from Asia Minor to a place called Macedonia, which is just north of Greece, which is, you can't, uh, can you see it? No, you can't. Yeah, you can see it from there. North of Greece. And, and picking up in verse 11, if you look with me, what I'm going to ask you to do is stay with me in Acts 16. And all the other verses, I'm just going to put them up on the screen. You don't even have to go nowhere. Just stay right there in Acts 16, right? Verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace. And the following day to Neapolis. And from there to where? Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And Luke says, we remained in this city some days. Now, <clears throat> now that they've heard from the Lord in a vision and they've got clear direction, they quickly begin to journey, as you can see now, to Philippi, which we just saw is in Macedonia. Now notice the we passages as opposed to the they passages. Luke, as I said, is the writer. Up until this point, Luke hasn't been traveling with the Apostle Paul. I don't even know if he knows him. He probably knows of him. But up until now, everything that Luke has compiled has been on the basis of a, a biographical 
account. So Luke's been talking to this person and getting information from that person and collating it all. And he's been writing it down right up to this point. And he's been making reference that they went here and they went there because he's writing about them. He ain't got nothing to do with them up until this point where he actually joins the team. Hence, he makes reference now to we. And he uses that pronoun. Now, it's going to change in a minute, but watch. <clears throat> this is the, the, the writer of the book speaking now as an eyewitness as he, as he travels with Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And here we are in Philippi, a very influential, a leading city we just read. It was founded and named after Philip of Macedon, who actually was the father of Alexander the Great. Philippi, after Philip. And this is going to be the first city in Europe as we know it, to receive the message of the gospel. And we'll see in our story today how God reaches out to a woman, a girl, and a man. Three people who find freedom in Philippi. It seems as if there's no synagogue or godly worship center here in Philippi. Just a few godly women. Thank the Lord that in similar fashion, here... We find godly women. Um, I think kind of nine times out of ten, any church you go to, you will find women and often more women than men who are godly. We had a conversation just coming up here in the car, just talking about a real lack, not of godly women, but of godly men. And thank the Lord um, the ladies here and here are holding it down. The ladies are righteously representing in Philippi where the men are flopping, if you understand that expression. Verse 13, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. Right, you'd expect that the men would be there, but as we sat down, spoke to the women who had come together. There's something wonderful about, I mean, yeah. There's something wonderful. How long does Pastor Anthony normally preach for? <laughs> okay. All right. So we've got about, we got about half. If, if I go to two o'clock, am I good? Okay, praise. Ha- half two. Wow. You don't want to give me that kind of license, you know, sis. You have no idea who I am. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, I just wanted to mention that I'm really encouraged by women who pray because... I'm convinced that it was my mum's prayers for me when I was running up and down like an idiot. It was my mum's prayers for me that, that, that allowed God to work really powerfully in my life when I hit about 19, 20, when I potentially could have really gone off the rails. I sensed the Lord rein me in, not even against my own will. I weren't feeling God and I weren't feeling the Bible or I definitely weren't feeling church. But I felt God, you know what I'm saying, I'm running and I just felt God rain, like rain me in. You know what I mean? And um, it's quite a long story, but um, I met my wife in the post office and neither of us were Christians. We were doing our own thing and just, just doing what normal, quote unquote, ungodly people do. You know what I mean? We're in a relationship and it was physical, it was sexual, and then bam. And I mean, I got to the end of my leash, like. And the Lord just dragged me in, dragged my wife in. We actually both became Christians on the same day in St. Mark's in Kennetton, Church of England Church, opposite the Oval Tube Station. And um, that was 
that was summer, that was summer 1989. In three months, I think about October, we got baptized, both of us. And then within a year, we were married, like nothing long. You get me? We were together, so it was like, what are we waiting for? Well, I'll tell a lie. My wife was like, let's get married, let's just do this. And I was like, well, I'm not sure like most typical men do. But because the Lord Jesus had affected my heart, it was only a matter of time before I had to bow my knee and say, you're right, let's do this. Now, I mean, we've been married October coming 23 years, isn't it, honey? And my wife's over there, Helen. Beautiful wife. Um, and I, tell all, I say all of that to say, I believe that my mum's prayers influenced that. To this day, you know, like Sunday morning, my mum's still alive. My, my, my real dad's dead and my stepdad's dead, but my mum's still alive. And it's like sometimes I'll phone my mum and one of the first things she'll say to me is, Robbie, my name's Robert, right? But she goes, Robbie, I pray for you this morning, you know. Um, the interpretation of that is that she prayed <laughs> for me. That, And what a blessing that is. You know what I mean? What a blessing. And I believe her prayers of... Can I get a witness, Brother Andrew, with that? Because Amen, amen. Because, yeah, Andrew told us a story when we was in Austria. And I got to meet his lovely mommy. So thank you, ladies, for praying. And can I encourage you, if you're a mother particularly, you know what I mean? And if, especially if you've got kids that are going astray, you know what I mean? Pray. You know what I mean? God is faithful. And um, he's able. Amen? Amen. So, <clears throat> so thank the Lord for ladies praying. There seems to be, as I said, um, no synagogue here because you need a minimum of 10 men to, 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 to create a Jewish synagogue. So, th- I mean, they can't even find 10 good men in Philippi. And again, we suffer from the same problem today, don't we? Have a look at this. A report done by Tear Fund in 2007 shows that in the UK, the ratio of women to men in church is staggering. 65 to 35%. Men only make up one third of the church. And it's sad for me to have to go on and say this, but it wouldn't be so bad if that one third was serious. You know what I mean? Of that one third, Think about this. There's a trend that suggests in the last 20 years, and I think this would support me saying what I just said. There's a trend that in the last, just 20, just the last two decades, 49% of men under 30 left the church. I'll say that again. 49%, that's nearly half the men in the past two decades under 30 years old, left the church. At the current rate of loss, it is predicted that by 2028, men will all but have disappeared from the churches in the UK. That pink line over the, since 1980 to 2010 shows the trajectory of women in the church. It's increased. But look at the sad state of affairs in terms of the men. And I mean, it's a serious state of affairs from, from where we were about nearly 45%. It's gone down now to 35% and falling, as you can see. Ladies, we need you to keep praying. I do, I'm involved in ministry in Jamaica, and the statistics there are worse. And I mean, I went to one church, 
church had about 100 people. Literally, there was four men. One of them was the pastor. Another one was an elder. And then there were two elderly gentlemen in the congregation. And I mean, um, my encouragement is, ladies, keep praying. God is faithful. And um, I think we can see, even in the Calvary Chapel movement, how God has been raising up men. And um, I'm convinced that he still wants to do that. And he wants to do that right here in London. We're in South London. You're in North London. And I mean, we need to pray that God will raise up godly men. And he can do it. And he will do it. And I mean, um, but... In terms of the statistics, what does this imply? Everyone who has a husband, a brother, or a son, or a father who is not in Christ should be concerned. And this hopefully is going to motivate our prayers, right? See, because this also has a serious side effect on Christian women, doesn't it? Because for the majority, it will be difficult to find husbands. How about, how about that being a good reason to pray, ladies? <laughs> Amen. And those who still think that the missing men are not important should bear in mind research in the States. Listen to this. <clears throat> this research suggests that if a child is the first person to become a Christian, I don't know if you guys can see through me, sort of. If a child is the first person, maybe I'll stand over here. If a child is the first person to become a Christian, there's a three and a half percent probability that the rest of the family will follow. Some, I know in our church, we've got loads of kids that come without their parents to church. You know what I mean? We're hoping that we can affect their lives. But when they go back home, they may tell mommy and daddy about Noah and the ark, or they may tell mommy because daddy probably ain't going to be around, right? In my culture and in our context, that's the case. You know what I mean? And they'll be there telling them about Noah and the ark and Adam and Eve in the garden. And, and it, might, it may, God may use that to affect the people in the house. But there's a three and a half percent chance, um, statistically speaking. If the mother is the first person to become a Christian, the probability rises now to 17%. So mum gets saved. How many of you know mum gets saved? She can have direct influence on the children immediately. You know what I'm saying? And hopefully now some effect in a partner's life. And I'm saying you may have got saved and your, your, your partner ain't saved, your husband ain't saved, your boyfriend, your baby father ain't saved. But you can now directly influence them, if not by speaking to them, First Peter 3, by living in, in after a godly fashion. And you know what? Standing up to them and telling them, you know what? There's a line now in the, in the ground right there in the sand. You can't cross it. You may live here with me or you and me might be in a relationship together, but there's a line there that you can't cross now, buster. And you stick to your guns and you don't let him touch you physically. And you tell him, you know what? That's one of the things that helped me to become a Christian. Because we was together. I never, t I never told her the backstory. My wife, before was my girlfriend at the time, she was going to church and I weren't interested. And she started going to church. And you know what? She stopped drinking, stopped smoking, stopped swearing. And, then, and all of that was happening. And I was like, pray. I was, I was like, hallelujah. I didn't know God, but like, hallelujah. You know what I mean? Because it's good that you're stopping doing them things. You should. Now, I never used to drink, never been drunk in my life. Never been, I mean, drunk to the point where, you know what I mean? I've had a couple of drinks where I was over the limit in terms of driving. So I was, technically that's drunk, right? But I'd, I had never taken drugs apart from smoked a couple tugs off of a spliff in Jamaica because my, my uncle owned a, 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 like a, a, like a ganja plantation. And, I, and, I, and you'd think that I'd, 
you know, I'd smoke my life away. You get me? I remember my wife used to say to me, man, if that was me back in the day, I would, oh. Drugs just was not my thing. I was like, to me, it was foolish. It was stupid. I hated being out of control and not knowing where I am and what's going on. Nah, nah, that's madness to me. You know what I mean? So I never got involved in them things that even though all of my friends did. I was a, DJ, I was a scratch DJ, so I was, a, I was constantly surrounded by it, but never got into drugs, never got into alcohol, and never even, I smoked one, I smoked, I smoked not even half a cigarette one day. My uncle came around, and me and my brother, we, they were drinking rum and like West Indian parents, um, uncles do, and we stole a packet of cigarettes. Back in them days, it was Embassy Number no. 6. I don't know if you even know them ones, right? You know them ones, it's, and we, and we was on the BC days, right? Amen. Hallelujah. Thank God for justification. And me and my brother stole away and we was on the balcony smoking this, this cigarette and I nearly coughed my lungs. It was the last time I ever smoked a cigarette. I don't see the sense in it. Cigarettes make your fingers smell, make your breath smell, make your teeth yellow. They cause cancer. And then on top of that, you have to pay for it. That don't make sense. That don't make sense to me. You know what I mean? So... So I'm like, she's like, she's changed. Stop drinking, stop smoking. I'm like, good for you. You know what I mean? Yeah, wonderful. And then, but this is what mashed me up. She then turned around and says to me, right, you know what, Robert? No more sex. I was like, wait a minute. You're getting too serious about this Christian thing now. You're going a bit too far with this now. Now, what she'd done is she'd drawn a line. And, and I said, before I wasn't interested in going to the church, she invited me. She said, let's go to church. And I was like, why do we want to go to church? She kept going on about church. I said, all right, then, all right, then we'll go to church. And she says, good, let's go to my, my friends. No, I said, I'm not going all the way over. That's too far. There's a church around the corner. It doesn't matter. Like church is church. Any church is church. It don't matter. So we went to this church of England church. There's about eight people in there. They were all over like 120 years old. <laughs> It was freezing in the building, and you wanted to see me and her. We were dressed up to the night. I had a suit on, I had my tie on, I looked slick. And what, what did I think church was? And I, but I'm saying it was her saying no more sex that at least caused me to begin to go to church. And then I sat there with her, I said, This is dry. I said, Maybe we need to go and check your church out. And we did. And that's how we ended up getting saved. I'm saying. It's one thing if a child becomes a Christian, they can affect the house in a certain way. It's another thing when a woman becomes a Christian because just like my story tells, she can have great effects and influence on those around. But look at the statistic when dad becomes a Christian. Oh my gosh. If the father is the first person to become a Christian, there's a 93% probability that everyone else in the house will follow. It's not cast iron, but that's the statistic. And we're going to come back to this thought later, if time permits, right? And so getting back to Acts 16, now, although I don't think it's significant, we do nonetheless see the same trend played out in our text, because the three people we see affected by the message of Christ are two-thirds female, one-third male. Now, they're a mixed bunch. First of all, we see a woman, right? She's, she's mature. She's shrewd. She runs her own business. Think the apprentice. She's a successful businesswoman. We see that from verse 14. She trades in purple goods 
which is ancient language for designer clothing. I don't know if you knew that, right? Purple was the most expensive material in this region. She also has a big house. We see that in verse 15. I mean, Lydia could be characterized in that time as upper class. She's balling. You know what I mean? She's like, she don't need no man. She's doing her thing. It's like, hey, she, she drives a convertible in the summertime. You get me? It's like she's, she, goes, she goes on holiday three times a year. She has much more than enough. Now, where Lydia was an, a, 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 a mature adult woman, the next character, the second person is a young girl. Can't see that very clearly. She's Macedonian. She's not old. She's younger. She's not at the top of the scale. She's at the very bottom. She's actually a slave. Not even lower class. She's lower than lower class. She doesn't own anything. Rather, she is owned. And then we've got the third individual, and it's a man. He's Italian, right? He's a Roman. he's a jailer or a prison officer possibly an ex-roman soldier he's got a secure job you know what i'm saying you'd be like you know he's got a nice car and he's paying his mortgage regarding ancient class categories he's probably middle class these are all very different they're different racially Because one's from Thyatira, Turkey. One's from Macedonia, which is, again, north of Greece. The other is Italian or Roman. They're different economically. One is rich. One is extremely poor and owns nothing. The other is comfortable. They're also very different religiously. One's into Judaism. One, we will see, is into the occult. The other is probably into Greek mythology. All completely different. Let's have a quick look at them. Verse 14. One who heard us, right, was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, seller of purple goods, who was what? The text says she was, remember, I'm asking you to look at Acts 16 with me. I'm not asking you to turn anywhere, so I'm trying to make your job real easy, right? So help me. Don't let me do all the work. She was a worshiper of God. Can you see that? Right in verse 14, a bit like Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. And it says, the Lord opened her heart. The Lord opened her heart. There's a lot in that. Now, for what purpose? To pay attention, it says, to what was said by Paul. In Luke 24, I don't know if you remember the story on the road to Emmaus, you got these two brothers and they're like talking about what had taken place recently and basically um, a man had been crucified that they expected was the messiah the savior but now he's dead and they're on this road and they're walking and they're talking we don't know one of their names but one of the brothers names is Cleopas and they're walking and they're chatting and all of a sudden they're joined with this stranger who's also walking along the street and they're walking and talking and chatting and catching up and Tutu's like, 
they say to this stranger, oh, you know what's going on recently? What do you think about it? Stranger's like, what do you mean? What are you talking about? What's happened recently? They're like, what? You're a stranger from around these parts. Don't you know about Jesus who was crucified? And they start going in, talking about all that had happened and their dashed emotions and hopes and feel, feelings. And Eventually, at the end of this, this journey, they get to a house, they sit down and they start eating. And when they begin to eat, this stranger breaks bread, doesn't he? And the text says, in verse 31 of Luke, 20, Luke 24, it says, as he breaks bread, what happens to them? Their eyes were opened. Lydia's heart was opened. Now their eyes are opened. And they see that the man that they've been talking to is the man that they've been talking about. He is Jesus. Then we see in another occasion where the Lord Jesus appeared to the 11 disciples after his resurrection, right? In Luke chapter, same chapter, in Luke chapter 24, I'm starting at verse 44, it says, And then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything about me written in the law of Moses, the Pentateuch, um, and the prophets, as you know, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. The whole of the Old Testament is actually about me. Verse 45, then what did he do? He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. There seems to be something about God needing to open a person's understanding, open a person's heart for them to even hear what's being said. You can sit and hear it and not hear it. A bit like when my wife talks to me. I hear a sound and she's like, Robert! Why didn't you turn off the oven? I'm like, um, didn't you hear me? Well, I, I did. I heard you, but I wasn't listening to the point where I could decipher the words and their meaning. And, you know, when it comes to the Bible, when it comes to the gospel, we need one of the things, ladies, we have to pray for us men is that God will open our hearts and our minds and our understanding so we can receive God's word. Wow, there's a lot to say about that. Verse 46, and then he said to them, look, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Because up until that time, he told them three times, clearly, plainly, I mean, they're guys, right? Clearly that I'm going to die. I'm going to get killed by these individuals. And I'm going I'm to be buried. And I'm going to rise again. He said that to them clearly. Be like, didn't you guys hear what I said? And they're like, um... Verse 47, and that, and that on the basis of that, repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in Jesus' name, in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And thank God that's what we see happen throughout the book of Acts, right? The gospel moves from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then as we saw in our map to the uttermost parts of the world, even to the point where it's arrived here and affected us. The gospel, wonderful. Now you cannot, you cannot begin to see... Unless God opens your eyes. You cannot begin to see until God opens your heart or the eyes of your heart. How many of you know we don't see with our eyes and just hear with our ears? Because you have eyes and you have ears and sometimes you can't see and you can't hear. Do you remember, um, is it John Newton, the slave trader? used to take slaves from West Africa. Never eat shredded fruit. West Africa over to the Caribbean, to where I come from. My parents come from Jamaica. And, um, yeah, there's a place in Ghana. 
I haven't been there, but one day I hope to visit where they used to send the slaves from and they'd chain 10, 20 slaves together and you had just a slit in the side of the building that went off, on, like, off, off onto a jetty that took you down to the slave ship and you could only get through sideways and the slaves would have to go through and step onto the jetty and, and then begin to walk down. They're all chained. Sometimes a slave would come and step off and miss his foot in and fall off the side of the jetty and he would drag other slaves down with him and sometimes they get trapped and caught so you'd have slaves hanging by chains and broken bones and and sometimes they just leave them because they're damaged goods right this man john newton that's what he used to do for a living until god saved him until god opened his heart until god opened his eyes And he began to see, and he wrote the song, didn't he? Amazing grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. You can't see just because you have eyes. And you don't hear just because you have ears. But notice. It's the opening of the heart in conjunction with what? The hearing of the word. Verse 14, the Lord opened Lydia's heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Now, knowing Paul, it was a combination of things regarding repentance and faith in Jesus. And notice two things happened there. Our hope is that those two things would happen here even today. Because we can't take it for granted that everyone who is in church is a Christian, right? As I said, I was, going, I was in that cold church. I was not a, I was not a Christian. And um, we can't take that for granted. The Lord opens the heart. And then there's the declaration of his word. Evidently, Lydia was deeply affected by what she heard. Because look at the result in verse 15. And after she was baptized and her household as well. Wow. Her whole household was... God used her to affect her whole household. Broke the statistics in that sense. You know what I mean? And I think that's the wonderful thing about being a Christian. You don't have to be a statistic. You know what I mean? God can break the mold with you. God broke the mold with me. My daughter went to university. My daughter finished school, murdered her GCSEs. She went to college, completed college, now you're sitting there, you're thinking, and? But you don't know my context. You don't know my background. She finished college. She went to, uni- she went to university. Me and my wife, we just about finished school. So I now, as I look back at my, my children, I have a legacy that was never there. Never there. You know what I mean? My son just finished the first year of his A-levels, murdered his first year. I mean, he, he was deflated. He thought he didn't do that well. I mean, he got one A and two Bs. And his, you know what I mean? And, he's, and I'm like, me and my wife were like, wow. If nothing happens, if I fall over in this pulpit and die, I die a happy man because I see how God has not only changed my life, he's already begun to change, you know what I'm saying, the next generation of my family, you know what I'm saying, and I'm saying that. Thank God, I'm, I'm, I'm at least at this point. I'm not. I'm not a statistic. You don't have to be a statistic in Christ. Oh my gosh, everything changes. Second Corinthians five seventeen. If any man or woman be in Christ. 
They're a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Can you say amen to that? Amen, Amen, man. So evidently, Lydia is deeply affected to the point where her whole family are are affected. Um, Verse 15, and after she was baptized, her her whole household as well, um, she urged us saying, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house. Come to my big house. You know what I mean? Come to my house and stay. God opened her heart and then she opened her house. How about that? Amen. There's a word in that for someone, I think, today. Amen. Praise God. <laughs> Verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, now, it seems to be another time, another day at this point, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination. And I have to hurry, right? She brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. Fortune telling. It so- fortune telling. It sounds really positive, doesn't it? <laughs> See? They only tell you the good stuff. They don't tell you the bad stuff. Um, one day I was in Lewisham. Again, this is north of the river, right? I don't know if you're familiar with Lewisham, Catford. Sounds like I come from another country, isn't it? <laughs> I was in one of our main shopping areas, and I'd be like Camden. I couldn't believe coming through Camden. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I know it's carnival weekend, right? But there were... If I said there were hundreds, if I said there were thousands of people, Lydia's here, Helen's here, I can exaggerate sometimes. Is that an exaggeration? There was a lot. All right, there was a lot of people. There was a lot of people. And I was out. It's not as much people as that in Lewisham. And this guy was just giving out these leaflets. And I thought, oh, praise God, man. You know what I'm saying? And I thought, let me just go up and just encourage the brother as he gives out these leaflets. Took the leaflet and I looked at him. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Looked at this leaflet. Oh, my gosh chatting about come to dr shivago and um and and get you know what i'm saying special potions for your ailments and love potions for those of you who are looking for part i was like what the what's this the guy was some fortune teller like like propagating his services tear up the thing i should have really gone back to him and spoke to him but i was in a hurry like you often are like when you're out shopping and you ever come across these guys that like psychics, tarot cards, horoscopes, clairvoyance, mystics, mediums, juju and obia, right? Very dangerous. And I'm saying, I came across this website, I couldn't believe, oh, I, I missed out the other part of verse, sorry. Anyway, there you go. I read it, didn't I? I come across this, I come across this website, oh my goodness. And I didn't put the notes in there, I'm just going to walk over here because I've got to read this to you, it's just ridiculous. Oh man, I can't even read it. It's too small. But anyway, on here, it's, it's called AfricanWitchcraft.com. Loves, spells, and in this thing, he's chatting about, you know, come to him and like broken hearts, wipe away your tears. Get your husband, your boyfriend, your wife or girlfriend back. Let Mr. Ali make him or her run back to you. 100% confidentiality. Even though Mr. Ali is an is an is adept at spiritual forces, supernatural forces, he's as human as you are, with a heart that beats in his chest. He understands the pain you're going through. He is here for you. Due to the strength of these powerful Afri- African love spells, it is unlikely that your partner will leave you again, regardless of how you will treat him or her. Therefore, Mr. Ali needs to be convinced that your partner will be 
treated well upon his or her return to you, you will quickly realize that Mr. Ali is simply gifted. 23 years of experience with magic spells for love. Submit your lover to Mr. Ali's hands and see for yourself. You deserve to work with the best love spell caster. My gosh, he chatting about love spells to bring him back. Love spells to bring her back. Love spells to keep him from leaving. Love spells to keep her from leaving. Custom, powerful African witchcraft spells, such as business spells, court spells, passport spells, love potions. I mean, I suppose you get the gist. <laughs> I got a bit carried away there, sorry. You get the gist of it, right? I must show you this, though. Someone, like, he's got testimonials on there. And he's got, he's got this letter that someone's writing. They said, look, I really thought that the man I love was out of my reach. But with the help of AfricanWitchcraft.com, it became possible to completely have him in a matter of three days. My dream has turned into a reality. Thank you so much. This stuff, oh my gosh. Now, obviously, a lot of that is nonsense. A lot of it's a lot of rubbish, just people scamming people. And um, it's, it's sad that that happens. I mean, but it's even sadder that stuff like this happens in the church. It's just under different guise. I know that for a fact because I was in a church like that for six years. No one can't tell me nothing. This happens. But with regards to much of it is false and fake, but some of it isn't. There are real supernatural powers. And this stuff is dangerous. Um, remember Moses and Pharaoh? Moses, his, his, his staff turned into a snake. But then what did Pharaoh's magicians do? They turned their, stuff, their staffs into snakes. I mean, Moses, his, his staff swallowed their one up. But they, they were able to work magic and do this stuff. Um, we're, we, we got, I've got a good friend of mine. His, I don't know if you've ever heard of him. His name is Yaakov or Jacob Prash. And he's a Jewish evangelist. He's a Christian. He's an American Jewish evangelist slash kind of itinerant speaker. And I remember him telling, a sto <laughs> telling the story about him... At one point, before he became a Christian, going to a medium. And he sat with this medium trying to get his fortune told. And she, in the middle of this session, she just kind of flinched. And she was like, don't come back and burn me when it happens. He was like, what? Now, he wasn't a Christian at that. But then he became a Christian and he looked back and he realized that she saw him actually becoming a Christian. You know what I mean? And I remember my wife, Helen, before she, like years and years before she became a Christian, her and her friends got together and they were kind of doing the whole Ouija board thing in the dark. And, you know what I'm saying? They had a glass and they were there. And she was, I mean, she's right here. She'll tell you. You know what I mean? They were in this, whatever you call it, and a glass, a glass jumped off of the table. You know what I mean? And I don't know if you, you ever seen these crazy programs on television where people are like, they're running around a, like a haunted, quote-unquote, house with the lights off. And they've got these infrared lights on so you can see. And, they, and they're getting scared and terrified. You see their eyes terrified out of their wits, right? And, and it's like, this stuff is dangerous, man. And, and when Helen, like, that experience affected her for years after. Because she, tr she, she, was, she was troubled with fear and terror. You know what I mean? And um, this stuff is just not helpful, man. You know what I mean? You want to get in touch with the supernatural, hey. There's a much safer and a more productive way to do that. You know what I mean? Um, it's, it's very dangerous. And 
I think at best it's inconsistent and it's unfaithful, it's unreliable. At worst, this stuff can destroy your life. But unusually, that's not what we see happening here in a sense. Verse 17 says, this, woman, this young lady, right, um, who's some sort of medium, she followed Paul and, and us crying out, these men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Sounds like one of the demons saying about Jesus, ah, behold, you know what I'm saying? The Son of God, why have you come here to torment us? Notice what she said was true, but it was inspired by a demonic spirit. Verse 18, and this she kept doing for many days, and Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. So Paul exercises the evil spirit. He casts out the demon and the slave girl is set free. She's the second of our three to be set free. Verse 19. But when her owners, uh uh-oh, when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. Now this sounds a bit drastic, but... Losing money will make some people do anything, right? Verse 20, so I'm trying to move. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. See, they accuse these preachers of destabilizing the culture, which is what Christians ought to do. See, their motive for saying it isn't pure. They don't care about laws and customs. They're worried about their money, right? And this quickly begins to get out of hand. Verse 22, the crowd joined in attacking them. Them. What about us? I'll tell you why in a minute. Them. And the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. Now, a minute ago, Luke was talking about us, 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 we, we, we. Now he's talking about them. We suspect that Luke and Timothy were not involved and embroiled at this point with regards to having their clothes torn off them and beaten, right? Although they were together, they grabbed Paul and Silas because they're the main speakers, they're the main protagonists. I suspect that Luke and Timothy, they're there, but they're not arrested. And he's talking about what's taking place with them. Verse 23, and when they had inflicted many blows upon Paul and Silas, them, then they threw them into prison, ordering who? Okay, in steps our third character, the jailer, to keep them safely. Now, this jailer has no idea as to what is about to happen. Verse 24, having received this order, he, took, he put them into the inner prison. Oh my gosh. Right? It's not just, okay, just bang them up. You know what I mean? He put them in like the dungeon, like solitary confinement, like the deep, damp, and the, the darkest part of the prison. How many of you know this happens today? Um, where Christians are persecuted, they're tortured, and they're also imprisoned for doing absolutely nothing wrong other than be a Christian. I mean, you're right, my sister. I was going to say for preaching the gospel. Sometimes Christians are incarcerated, not even because they preach, just because they're found to be a Christian. You know what I mean? And um, in 2013, the top 10 persecutors of Christians were as follows. 
North Korea, number one. They've been number one since 2002. Two, Saudi Arabia. Three, Afghanistan. Then Iraq, Somalia, the Maldives, Mali, Iran, Yemen, and Eritrea. It's funny, we are just, it's just this morning as I was considering this, we've been talking about going away just for a break um, as a family. We're foster carers. We have two foster children. And um, it's a bit complicated, but we're hoping at some point to be able to have a holiday. And we were, I think we've been considering some different places. And I think my wife mentioned Egypt. And I thought, you know, Egypt's not on the list here, but they are on the list. And I thought, do I really want to go somewhere like that where they support, you know what I'm saying, like on a political level, they support um, the persecution of Christians. And I, and I think, as much as I think we had a good deal on a trip to Egypt, isn't it? But I, I, I think I'm, I struggle to, to, to go there now. Um, persecution of Christians still happens today. I was going to play your video, but I think we haven't got time for that now. So I'm going to just move on. But um, maybe I'll play a little, actually, let me play you a little clip of this one. Showed you that. That's Nigeria. I was in Nigeria. Was it two years ago? Three years ago, honey. I went. I don't know. Yeah, I was involved in some ministry in Nigeria. And prior to going to Nigeria, I went to a preacher trainer college in London Bridge called Cornhill. So for two years part time, and I met two brothers. 
Both of them were from Nigeria. One from southern Nigeria. The other one was from northern Nigeria, a place called Jos. While we were studying, in two years, he got two phone calls whilst we were at college from his family saying that his village had been attacked by Muslim extremists. And we had to sit with that brother as he reflected on the fact that friends and family members were murdered. Um, this stuff is, I mean, and you know, it's just, we live in a culture where you kind of see this stuff on TV. I mean, I've shown it to you. And within the next hour or two, we'll probably kind of go to, it will go to the back of our minds. And, but this stuff is real and it's happening as we speak. You know what I mean? Where it's not just in the Bible 2,000 years ago that, that Christians were being horrendously treated. This stuff is going on right now. And I'm sure you guys are familiar with that because you pray for missionaries um, on a regular basis, don't you? And um, yeah, in the midst of what is very, very difficult, we can be encouraged. It's not a surprise. Jesus said in Matthew 5, he says, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Rejoice, you know, and be, and be glad. <laughs> well, I heard someone say, Lord, I'm not surprised you have so few friends that you do the way you treat the ones that you have, right? <laughs> Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you. And say, Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What was, hap what was happening to Paul and Silas wasn't new. It happened to the prophets prior to that. And what's happening, you know what I'm saying, to them then isn't unique. It's happening today. You know what I'm saying? And it will continue to happen. And actually it will get worse. Um, verse 24. Having received this order, he, that is a jailer, put them into the inner prison um, and fastened their feet in the stocks. Um, verse 25. About... Midnight, note the time. Paul and Silas were praying and, pray, praying and singing hymns. Now that must be a misprint, right? <laughs> They're doing exactly what Jesus said in Matthew 5 with regards to rejoicing and being glad. That's incredible, right? It's incredible. May God help us if we are confronted with such challenges that we'd be able to respond in like fashion. Um, like praying and singing surely they should be moaning and complaining i mean yeah we haven't got time i was going to say we moan and complain when we're not even in those difficult circumstances what an amazing response to terrible circumstances and but they <clears throat> and the prisoners notice and the prisoners were listening to them i bet they never heard anything like this before notice nothing we do is in a vacuum Everything we do as Christians affects others. And I'm saying, so Paul and Silas are in prison. They're, I mean, they're, they're, yet all of the inmates are listening and are being affected by their witness, are being affected by the things that they're doing and the things that they're saying. People are affected by us, whether we want to admit it or not by the things that we say, by the things that we do. And um, the scary thing is we're going to be held accountable for that. You know what I mean? May God help us. Because it's hard, isn't it? Because sometimes you let your guard slip. You're out and about and you're this. I was driving the other day. Oh, my gosh. I was driving. 
And I really shouldn't have been going where I was going. It wasn't a terrible place. It was soccer world. I went to take something back. But I really had an appointment where I should have gone. And I thought, no problem. I'll be able to duck in, do this, and then go and do what I've got to do. Drove into the car park, yeah? And as I'm driving into the car park, there's a space behind, kind of driving along, and I spot a space. So I kind of go here to reverse and go back into this space. I've gone here. And literally, I mean, you would have to be a fool to, to, be, to, to, to not notice that I'm parking the car. I mean, it's like, it's so obvious and evident. Now, you can begin to already see where I'm going with this. I'm like, and I'm reversing. Literally, I've got my reverse. The white lights mean you're reversing. This brother behind me, instead of just waiting for me to go in, he tries to go around me. It wouldn't have been bad if he'd gone this way, because I'm moving this way. If he'd gone that way, it wouldn't have been so bad. I'm going this way. The brother tries to duck in between me and the parking space. I'm pulling back. I turned off the engine. No, actually, tell a lie. I looked at this brother and I was like, I was like, what, like, what, are you, what do you think you're doing? The guy starts to argue with me. I'm like, you're not serious. And to prove it, turned off the engine and I jumped out of the car, walked around the car. And as I'm walking, every step I took, I could hear the Lord saying, where do you think you're going? <laughs> I wasn't trying to hear that. I went right around my car, right up to the guy's car. And I mean, I did give him a piece of my mind. Because what he had done was ridiculous. But then at a certain point, I realized the foolish foolishness of what I was doing. And you know what? Partly what caught is, is, is sad. I mean, one, I'm a Christian. Two, I'm a pastor. Right? So I've got no excuse, right? I'm there. And what caught me was I remembered I was in the middle of like a shopping center type of area. And I thought to myself, I wonder who might be looking. I wonder who might be what. I mean, it's sinful. You know what I mean? Really, I should have been like, Lord, I've offended you. I realize this is not right. I shouldn't lose my temper. Da -da. But what got me was, and I suppose it's not wrong. It's not, it, it shouldn't have been the first thing. But I was like, and I, I, I kind of turned around. Even I was still, I was, I mean, I was, I was, I, I was seething. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was like, you, you, and I walked back to the car and I got in. And even though I still had a lot more to tell him, I jumped in the car. I gave him a bit of a bad, I gave him a bad look. And then I jumped in and I dropped. Now I'm saying, my point is two things. One, we don't live in a vacuum. Everything we do affects other people. You know what I mean? And, um, and I think the second thing is not only does it affect other people, but um, I forgot the second thing. It was a good thing as well. Maybe it'll... Sorry, Sid? Exam is, it, I should be setting an example. It, it's true, isn't it? But, um, but the second reason I mention that is because it's to encourage you. Because I know I'm not the only one that gets caught in them kind of situations. I'm not even asking you. Because I know that your sin is just like me. You know what I mean? And I think, some, and I, and I, I, I think sometimes as pastors, we can kind of come across like, we never do stuff like that. 
And it's not, it's not true. And it's not helpful because you need to know that I'm a sinner. And I'm saying we're, doing, we're working at this together. God is still in the, he's justified us. He's going to glorify us, but he's in the process of sanctifying us. And it helps, doesn't it? You can be like, man, you don't feel like, yeah, God knows what you did last week. Yeah, and he knows what you did yesterday. You know what I mean? It's like, like we're all guilty, aren't we? And the point is, may God help us. May God help us to be like Paul and, and, and Silas and and be considerate. And, and it's fundamentally starts off with our relationship with God. I, I remember while we was in away, while we was away in Austria. You know, some of us went to Austria. Right? Some of us from our church. Some of you guys from your church. We've done a Calvary Chapel kind of retreat. And um, we're actually going to be thinking about taking bookings for next year within the next month or so. We're trying to plan it early because we've got the dates already. If you want to come um, retreat in Austria, it's at the castle. Um, a place called Milstadt, really nice. Overlooking the lake with the Alps in the background. Yeah, nice. Um, <clears throat> what was my point again? again? What was I saying? <laughs> what was I saying? What was I saying? I was saying while we were there in Austria, a couple of even even like your members of your church were there sharing, and I'm saying some of their experiences. And um, Sister Angela, I can see her sitting in the back there. Um, Sister Angela told us a story about when they got to the airport. Her and Micah, they 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 they, 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 they Micah's passport had expired, and it was like, oh my gosh. It's just a horrible situation. I missed two days of the trip. But she went on to tell this amazing story that she's got to tell you at some point. She can share it when you guys do testimonies and whatever and tell you about her experience and, you know what I'm saying, and um, just how God uses terrible circumstances and turns them around for good. You know what I mean? And, um, yeah, let's, let's be encouraged. Um, and, and so... As a Christian, you will have difficult times come into your life. May God help you. May God help me. May God help us to respond like Paul and Silas, not negatively, verbally or violently. Um, But notice, they don't respond to the situation, but somebody does. And I've really got to hurry now, right? Mm -hmm. See, you guys have like, my sister, she ain't even looking at me now. The one who said, yeah, no problem, go on. Um, look, Look at the response. There is a response and it comes from, an unexpected source. Verse 26, and suddenly there was a great earthquake. You know that there are great suddenlies in the Bible. And you can be encouraged as a Christian, eat like when things look the darkest. Suddenly. That was for those of you that fell asleep. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened. This is more than just a regular, like, um, common and garden earthquake if you know that term this is not an un- this is an unusual this is a supernatural earthquake and immediately all the doors were open everyone's bonds were unfastened the chains fell off doors were open verse 27 when a jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open he drew his sword and was about to kill himself supposing that the prisoners had escaped there's a whole big thing we could talk about there in terms of suicide you know and i'm saying but um i don't i realize we don't have time to kind of go into that but my point would be that God intervenes even in, at the point where someone was, is, is about to commit suicide. If we'd allow God the opportunity to get in there. And this suddenly, look at, look at, look at the effect of it. Verse 28. But Paul cried with a loud voice, don't harm yourself, we're still here. Because <laughs> the jailer knows if they've gone, like, I'm gone, I'm done. So he's like, let me just, let me just deal with myself now, it'll be easier. They might torture me and so on. Verse 29. And the jailer... It's like, wow, he called for lights. 
probably couldn't believe it. And he rushed in, trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out, and he's now going to ask the most important question anyone could ever ask in their life. And he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, notice the answer is just as simple as the question. They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household, Paul goes on to say. Now, the question and the answer initially is true for every single person on the planet with regards to, you want to you be saved? The answer is believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. The next part is not necessarily for everyone, right? Paul may have had some insight into this man's life. Like, you get saved, fam, your whole family's going to get saved, bruv. You know what I mean? We can't say to everyone who gets saved, you get saved, your whole family. It's not, it's not always going to be the case. Verse 32, and they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. Our people are voting with their feet. I better hurry up now. <laughs> How did they get there? The jailer took them to his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and he washed their wounds. Wait a minute. These are wounds he probably was guilty of inflicting, possibly. The jailer is potentially and it goes on to say that he was baptized. Just like Lydia. He and his family. Just like Lydia. Then he brought them up into his house. Just like Lydia. At what time? Remember I asked you to note that. Thank you, my brother. Midnight. I wonder what would happen if I brought people into my house at midnight. And not just anyone, like ex-cons, like criminals. I say ex-cons. Man out of prison, I'm mid in my house. I'm making a point. Then he set food before them. At what time? It was at midnight that they were praying. So this is actually going to be way past midnight. Who knows? One, maybe two o'clock in the morning. Not only is he bringing these guys in his house, probably making up noise, because you know men make a lot of noise, right? Come in the house, making up noise. Now he's feeding them. And it says he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. This dude, he wakes everyone up in the house in determined fashion. Bang, 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 bang. Waking people. Waking, wakes his wife up, possibly. Look, they set food. Maybe he called his wife. Look, sort out some food. In the, but then again, he's saved now. Maybe he's in the kitchen. He's put that apron on. He's rustling up the food. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? But I know the whole house is awake now. You know, he's saved now. You know what I mean? Maybe he's a changed man. It's like... But here's my point. Can you see the effect that that man has on his household? You think a child can come in the house at midnight and wake everybody up? Somehow I don't think so. Obviously, they're not even going to be out. Mother, maybe you think a woman can come in and make up all that noise, like happily make up that noise, wake everyone, wake, wake everyone up in the house? Somehow I don't think so. Because if the man's in bed, no, I don't think so. <laughs> but how many of you know if dad comes in the house, 
And he bangs on the doors and he bang, 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 gets a, like a frying pan out, bangs it with a wooden spoon. Even if people don't want to, they have to. All the teenagers are like, oh, child, man, dad, what, what's wrong with you, man? Why do you have to wake us up, man? Don't you know that we're sleeping? I'm like, it doesn't matter. Everyone's up now. And no one can say anything to dad. But isn't that beautiful? Only dad would dare wake everyone up in the middle of the night, right? Verse 35, but when it was day, and, oh, we ain't got time. Verse 35, but when it, was, <laughs> when it was day, the magistrate sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, look, the magistrates have sent to let you go. I mean, <laughs> I've set you free anyway. Um, or maybe they went back to the prison. I don't know. Um, Therefore, go out now and go in peace. Paul said to them, look, they've beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And what? They want to just put us out secretly? No, I don't think so. Um, Now, the thing is, Paul's not bitter. He's not like me in the car with that guy. No. Paul's seeking an opportunity to share the gospel with a new audience. He knows whoever these dudes are that made that proclamation that they can go free, they're going to be very substantial. They're going to be guys who are in place, positions of authority. Paul's like, huh, here's an opportunity for me to share the gospel at a really high level. And I'm saying, verse 38, the police reported these words to their magistrates and they were shook. They were afraid when they heard that these guys were Roman citizens. They should have done their homework, right? Verse 39, so they came and apologized to them and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. This is the church at Philippi. You know the book of Philippians? It's written to, this is the beginning of that church. In embryonic form, it's to these that the book will be written later. Isn't this a strange group of people selected and highlighted by the author of this book? A rich woman slave girl and a Roman prison warden. All three Gentile non-Jews. Luke is making a point here, proving that the gospel is for everyone. It's for all nations. Most Jewish men said in their prayers in the morning, (laughs) I mean, they need help. They need some instruction. They say, they used to say, God, I thank you that I wasn't born a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. They call Gentile dogs. I'm glad I wasn't. That's what they say in their prayers. It's ironic, isn't it? And these are the very people that God loves and wants to see saved. And sometimes we can have that attitude. A rich woman who had a heart closed to sin, just thinking about money and business. A young girl enslaved to sin with no ability to be set free. And then we see that the setting free of a jailer who bound others, yet was himself bound in prison to sin. God opens the heart to hear the message. These were not expecting God to invade their lives, but he did. And he can do the same for you. And I hope that maybe to some degree he may have done that today. You forgive me for my lack of brevity and for being a bit laborious with my points. And um, I hope that you noticed the title of the message, that it refers to three people who found freedom It would have been great to say three people have found forgiveness. Yet the text doesn't give us that liberty. Lydia and the jailer undoubtedly find forgiveness for their sins. But we have no assurance that the slave girl was forgiven. 
We see that she experienced the powerful, undeserved grace of God being set free from a demon. But did she respond in repentance and faith? We're not sure. The text doesn't say. And my big question to you is today, is if you, like her, possibly haven't already, I would hope that you'd be encouraged to hear God's word today and that he's possibly opened your heart, leading you to ask the most important question that you could ask. What must I do? See, it's personal. I. What must I do to be saved? To which we would respond, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. Amen. Shall we pray? Father, thank you so much for your word. And thank you that you open our hearts to appreciate that word. Thank you that the Bible says the entrance of your word brings light. And it gives understanding to the simple. Father, we're all simple people. And we're all sinful people. Yet in your grace, you come to us. Like you came to me and Helen 23 years ago, 24 years ago. And to so many others who are here, Lord, you came to us. We weren't seeking you. We were so lost. We didn't even know we were lost. And we didn't care. But you pursued us. And you saved us. And I thank you that you still do that, even today. Um, Lord, would you open hearts and speak your word into those hearts and bring salvation like you did to these two and possibly that third person. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.